So today we look at the tragedy of Tyre. Have you ever thought about it? It would be very easy to ignore this great trade city of Tyre. Chances are, if you are a Bible reader, you have read something about Tyre. And usually when Tyre is mentioned, it's Tyre and Sidon. It's actually mentioned 59 times in the Bible, 47 of those in the Old Testament, but 12 times in the New Testament. And just to give you a little bit of background, uh, the city of Tyre was a Phoenician seaport on the Mediterranean Sea. It's located 35 miles north of Mount Carmel. I got to visit Mount Carmel when we were in Israel. That's where, you know, Elijah uh, battled the prophets of Baal. And it's right on the coast of the Mediterranean as well. Well, you go a little farther north is where Tyre was. It's about 28 miles west of Mount Hermon. So that tells you it's way far to the north. Tyre supplied lumber for King David and King Solomon, if you remember. When King David was building his house, when King Solomon was building the temple, you remember Hiram, king of Tyre, gave the cedars. And, uh, and so it definitely comes into play there. It's implied that Tyre was also the daughter city to the older city Sidon. So you're going to hear... Sidon and Tyre, Tyre and Sidon together quite a bit. In fact, Jesus had something to say about them. And both of these cities were technically outside the boundaries of Israel, probably should have been part of if Israel had actually um, occupied all of the land that that God gave. But uh, under Joshua's conquest, Tyre was one of the boundary lines to the tribal allotment of Asher, and so the Israelites never quite um, occupied that area. And Tyre became a large city, a large city that was known for commercialism. And so, you know, if we could kind of compare, uh, we're going to be comparing Tyre to Babylon. You know, Babylon was this big symbol of commercialism gone wrong. And Tyre is comparable to Babylon, and we're going to see some things about that in a moment. You know, in our own country, we think of big cities like New York or L.A., or sometimes we talk about uh, Wall Street and Hollywood as representative of, of different uh, viewpoints and, and human attempts at grasping at the things of this world. And so we tend to refer to those kind of things as commercialism with kind of a negative context. And, and, you know, not all buying and selling is wrong. We know that. But when commercialism becomes an idol, that's what happened at Tyre. And Tyre was a large city. It was much larger than Jerusalem. And so we, we tend not to really... I don't know if, if, if you're like me, you read it, and you're just like, Tyre, yeah, I read it, but... <clears throat> This time I actually stopped to do an in-depth study and I went through every passage in the scripture, all 59 of them, and then read some background on this and I started thinking, wow, God really is interested in Tyre. So we should be interested in Tyre. We should know something about it. There's a lot of archaeological finds that relate to Tyre. 
and we know that Tyre was founded at least 2,000 years before Christ. That means it was 500 years old when the children of Israel began the conquest of the land under Joshua. Tyre was divided into two parts. Originally, it had an island fortress one half mile off the seashore where the main city was. So you had the city, but you also had this island fortress, which was a very important part of the city as well. And so when the enemy came, everyone would go out into the fortress. And so you had the water barrier and uh, uh, using it to be protection against enemy invasions. And it just so happens that there were five major sieges of Tyre in history. One big one by the Assyrians, one by the Babylonians, at least one. And it was uh, later on, it was Alexander the Great who was so set on taking Tyre that he built a causeway from the land to the island, a half mile, so that he could take that city and take it down. And, you know, God said that Tyre would become a place where fishermen would spread their nets. And when Alexander the Great built that causeway, to this day, guess what they do there? They spread their nets. Fishermen do that. Isn't that amazing? So, you might have come today and said, I just can't wait to hear about Tyre. Anybody say that on the way in? <clears throat> so, so, what's so tragic about Tyre? You might, you might have said, Pastor, I don't know, you know, Tyre, yeah, it's in the Bible, but is this really important? And, and what does this say to, to me personally? I mean, what difference would it make in my life if I do a study about the city of Tyre? Why would God even address an oracle to this place, this city-state that, you know, was not even part of Israel? So, so what, what's so important about this? Well, Tyre serves as another example, comparable to Babylon, of how this world's commercial system is devoted to idolatry, to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Instead of worshiping the Creator, Tyre is a picture of a people who worship this world system. Now, can you start to see any relevance to what God might say to you and me personally about commercialism in our lives? That's what Tyre's about. And that's what the, the tragic uh, story about Tyre. And so I want to look at these 18 verses, but I also want to bring in a couple of other passages as we look at these together. I was so tempted, you know, <clears throat> after covering like eight chapters in the last two sermons, I was thinking, well, you know, I ought to be able to reel off a bunch more chapters here in Isaiah because they're so hard to figure out anyway. I'll just hit the high points, you know, and we'll keep moving. And it was almost like the Lord saying, stop. I went back and looked at the outline of the book, and I tried to give that to you recently. Remember chapters 13 to 23 are a section about the nations. And I made it through 22, and then I got 23, 
And then the next section, things change. You know, it starts a different emphasis. And I thought, oh man, I better just look at this chapter 23. And all at once, I thought, oh my word. It's a bookend to what started this section back in chapters 13 and 14. Anybody remember what chapters 13 and 14 were about? It was one, one thing, one city, one city country. Anybody remember? Babylon. This section began with an oracle about Babylon, and then the section ends with an oracle about Tyre. Are there any other connections between Babylon and Tyre? There are. Remember my little formula about Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel, what's 2 times 14? 28. Remember that? And and in Isaiah 14, it's an oracle against the king of Babylon. And guess what? In Ezekiel 28, it's an oracle against the king of Tyre. And both of them are energized by Satan. And those two passages give us some little insight into about Satan. So we're going to come up on that in just a moment. So here's my outline for today, the tragedy of Tyre. And it come up with four principles. Number one, commercial empires will fall. Okay, so that's the first five verses of, of the chapter. Commercial empires will fall. And you can just write that down, and you can take that to the bank. Because commercialism tends to leave God out. And anything that leads God, leaves God out is destined to failure. Secondly, in addition to that, pride brings failure. So commercial empires will fall. Secondly, pride brings failure. And then thirdly, there is no escape from God's judgment. Now what did I say the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are about? One word? Judgment. Hey, you're getting this. And what, what do you think next, next Sunday's sermon might be about? Judgment? Oh, you're, you're, you're really getting this, you know? Because we're talking about judgment, 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 judgment. And, and, and we're all going to go, Lord, is there, is there anything besides judgment that you want to get across to us? Yes, there is. Every time there's judgment, what else is there? Grace. And did you see it in this passage? Did you see it? As we read chapter 23, did you see grace? It's there. And we're going to look at it. Okay, so let's take this first point. Commercial empires will fall. Isaiah 23, 1 through 5. And again, verse 1, the oracle concerning Tyre. Now, what's an oracle? An oracle is a direct message from God given by or through a prophet in poetic form. And this is why Isaiah is hard for us to read, because so much of it is written in poetry. And poetry is this way of writing that you're using images, and you're repeating yourself constantly, and you're writing in such a way that um, you're trying to make people think and picture and feel things, but it's not just straightforward declarative statements. So it takes some work. And when we look at um, the name Tyre, we said that Tyre was a large city of commerce. It was a seaport. 
In fact, it's the most important seaport on the Mediterranean Sea, at least in its eastern border, eastern coast. And we said that it was just north of Israel's border. You might not be interested in this, but I, I was looking at the Hebrew text, you know, and you expect that the word Tyre in Hebrew might start with a T. It doesn't. It's, you know what it is in Hebrew? It's Tzor. Tzor. Hebrew has a lot of guttural sounds to it. And it's, such, it's so strange. But I, wa I want you to feel some of this. I'm not trying to throw you off or I don't want to impress you. But I want you to feel this. It's Tzor. Almost sounds like how I felt after shoveling all that snow last weekend. But, so it's not tire, it's sore. The oracle concerning sore. And then what about this relationship between Tyre and Israel in history? Well, the first time that sore or tire is mentioned in the Bible is in Joshua 19.29, and it's, it just mentions it in passing as a border to Asher's tribal inheritance. And then the second time it comes in, it's when it's the source of lumber and other goods under King David. King David hired the king of Tyre to supply him with cedar to build his royal house. Later, King Solomon in 1 Kings 5 is going to mention Hiram, king of Tyre. And so Tyre starts coming in and kind of very subtly, and we read it, and you know, Hiram, king of Tyre, okay, great. Thank you, Hiram. Later on, as you study a little further, Solomon and Hiram were making um, some financial deals. And you almost wonder what was starting to go on if Solomon was feeling like, hey, you know, I think Tyre, the king of Tyre, he's starting to take advantage of me because he required in return for his lumber and other supplies that he sold them, he, he took 20 cities of Galilee from Solomon. And you can read about that in 1 um, in Kings chapter 9. And then Hiram, king of Tyre, came to check out the cities. And you know what he says to King Solomon? These cities aren't worth much. What kind of cities are you giving me? I give you all this, you know, all this land and uh, all, the, all the lumber and all these things to help you, and, and, and this is what I get. So you start to see some tensions start to develop, even under Solomon. And later on, Tyre's mentioned in the book of Psalms. It's brought up in Ezra and Nehemiah. But it starts to become, instead of a really great friend to Israel, their friendship starts to come apart. Well, in the text here, there's several different names that we need to grasp hold of. How about Tarshish? What does that mean to you? That was the farthest way place from where they were, at the other end of the Mediterranean Sea. And what, what would be at the other end of the Mediterranean Sea for us as far as what name would we come up with? What country nowadays? Spain. So Tarshish would be Spain to us. And that's where it says, whale, O ships of Tarshish. Now, wait a minute. That's way at the other end of the Mediterranean Sea. 
Remember Paul's journeys when he was trying to get to Rome and how he had shipwrecks and how difficult it was to get there? I mean, this is no uh, place that's close by. This is way toward... It's, in fact, the people of that day thought that Tarshish was right about where the earth stopped. And even in the Middle Ages, they thought when you get beyond that, you know, the flat earth just drops off and you fall off into who knows where. When it says, O ships of Tarshish, this is talking about the people far away who come and bring their goods and trade with the people of Tyre. In verse 3, it talks about the grain of Shihor. That's a, a city in Egypt and the harvest of the Nile. And then in verse 4, it mentions Sidon. This is uh, about 25 miles to the north, another seaport city, which was also important. But Tyre had kind of surpassed Sidon in its uh, relevance. And then in verse 5, it says, When the report comes to Egypt, they will be in anguish over the report about Tyre. When the word would come that Tyre was going to fall, all the surrounding areas, even as far as Tarshish at the, at the end of the other end of the Mediterranean Sea, that everyone would grieve. Why? Because the source of their commerce was stopped. It would be comparable to if like a whole bunch of truck drivers decided to have a big convoy <laughs> and, and maybe, you know, just decide we're not going to deliver our goods, we're just going to make like a big line up and we're not going to let anybody... It'd be kind of like that, if that ever could happen. <laughs> By the way, I guess you know that's happening right now on the Canadian border. There's a big convoy of trucks and the truckers are... And they're getting arrested too. I mean, so it's going to be interesting to see how all this shakes out. Fun to watch. But when the supply chain stops, what do people do? Oh, woe is me. Oh, no. You know, this, the shelf is empty. Remember, any store is only three days away from emptiness. You know, every three days, you've got to have a truck. And three days, pff, most of it can be gone, and especially when people get nervous. Well, that's what was happening with Tyre. Tyre is coming down, and everybody in the area, as far away as Spain and all the way down to Egypt, up to Sidon, and Israel's caught in between. They're all like, oh no, this can't happen. This is our main seaport. This is our, this, this is our trucking industry to get us what we need. And if this happens, woe is me. That, that's what's going on in this passage. Notice what he says in verse 6. Cross over to Tarshish. Wail, O inhabitants of the coast. Is this your exalted city? In other words, this pile of rubble, whose origin is from days of old, whose feet carried her to settle far away. Who has purposed this against Tyre, the bestower of crowns, whose merchants were princes, whose traders were the honored of the earth? They, they ask an important question here. Who's doing this? Who, who is uh, behind all this? And the, the answer, of course, is God is. God is behind this. And so, as we move into this next point, we see that pride brings failure. 
commercial empires will fall. But the answer, and probably the key verse of this whole chapter, is right there in verse 9. The Lord of hosts has purposed it to defile the pompous pride of all glory, to dishonor all the honored of the earth. Who's bringing down Tyre? Yahweh is. Yahweh of hosts. Yahweh Sabaoth. The Lord of hosts. He's the one. He's going to bring Tyre down. And you know, this might be a good time for us to take a moment and just compare where we were back in chapter 14 with what Ezekiel says about Tyre. Let's go back first to uh, Isaiah 14. Remember we said that this section on the nation starts with Babylon, and Babylon is this big commercial center that represents the world system and becomes a code name later on in the New Testament for man shaking his fist against God and saying, I'm bigger than you are, God, and I'm going to do what I want to do. And God says, no, you're not. And so this big section about the nation starts with Isaiah 13 and 14. And I want to take you to Isaiah 14, verse 12, because we, we underscored this passage previously when we looked at this very strange statement. This is addressed to the king of Babylon, but notice again what it says in Isaiah 14, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Daystar, sometimes translated Lucifer, son of dawn, for you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. Now remember, as we were studying this, you know, here's these statements about Babylon and its rebellion and the, you know, quite often the king of a nation and the nation are equated. You talk to the king, you're talking to the nation. You talk about the king, you're talking about the nation. You talk about the nation, you're talking about the king. The king of Babylon. And it, it started back in chapter 13 and it carries all the way into most of chapter 14 that God's going to bring Babylon down. Babylon, you're fallen, you're fallen. And it comes up again later. We saw it in the last message. But this strange few verses, these four verses of Isaiah 14, 12 to 15, all of a sudden he's saying things to the king of Babylon that don't sound like they fit a human being. And he calls him Daystar or Lucifer, son of the morning, son of the dawn, and talking about the, the idolatry that they worship. And it's almost like he subtly shifts from talking to the king as a human to talking to Satan energizing this human king. And that's when he says things like, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. Now did the king of Babylon say that? Or did Satan energizing him say that? The scripture says, he said, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly. I will, I will, I will. Five times he says, I will. And he says, I will make myself like the Most High. Maybe the king of Babylon said that, 
But as he said that, he was energized by Satan, just as in the Garden of Eden, when the serpent was talking to Eve, who was really talking? Satan was. And when God spoke to the serpent, who was he speaking to? To the serpent who could talk? Or to Satan who energized the serpent, right? The same thing is going on here. Now, that's Isaiah 14. Turn over, if you would, to Ezekiel 28. Different prophet, but the subject of Tyre that is discussed in our text in Isaiah 23. Ezekiel talks about Tyre actually beginning back in chapter 26. And if you, if you look closely, Ezekiel 26, 27, 28, and part of 29 is all about Tyre. Surprise! Did you realize Tyre is important in the Bible? It is. It is important. And, and notice, we'll go right to the heart of this. Ezekiel 28, and we'll pick up with verse 11. The same thing that happened with the king of Babylon. God's giving this message to the human king, and then it shifts to Satan energizing the human king. And this is what he says, Ezekiel 28, 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God. Now see if all these things could fit a human. You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On that day, you were created. They were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. Wow. The king of Tyre? Or the one energizing him? I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in all your ways. Oh, could that be the king of Tyre? Or was that the one energizing him? From the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you, in the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your, from your midst. It consumed you. And I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. Now, I don't know about you, but that just, I mean, that's a lot. And this was directed at first to the king of Tyre, the same Tyre that we're studying in Isaiah 23. This is Ezekiel 28. And so we find that the one energizing the king of Tyre was a cherub in Eden who was created perfect but then fell. Just as the five I wills in Isaiah 14, this same description fits Satan 
in his rebellion against God. Do you know, if you rebel against God, you will lose. Did you know that? If you shake your fist at God and say, I'm going to do this, you will lose. Do you understand that? If you defy what God says is true and right, you are going to be brought to judgment, and you cannot escape it. And you know, the world needs to hear this. I need to hear it, because I'm a sinner. I remember I was talking about this last week. If you come to church and say, I'm a good person, I'm not as bad as the person that lives next door to me or down the street. If you talk like that, you're probably not a Christian. Because Christians don't talk like that. Christians don't say, I'm a good person. What do Christians say? I'm a sinner, saved by grace. My only hope is Jesus. That's what a Christian says. And that's not what the king of Tyre was saying. That's not what Satan said. You see, pride brings failure. It brings disaster. And going back now to Isaiah, if we can find our way back there, when the question was asked in verse 8, who's doing this? Who's purposing this against Tyre? Well, the answer is verse 9. The Lord of hosts, he has purposed it. And he's not going to let him get away with it. He's not going to let you or me or anyone get away with rebellion against him. And he's going to come a day. And here's the good news. He's going to make everything right. Do you believe that? He's going to make everything right. Oh, I like that. You know? Because my emotions are so mixed up most of the time. You all know me. I mean, I am so wired with emotion. I think I could actually cry at a commercial sometimes, you know, but, uh, you know, you watch a program, you know, those commercials where for $19 a month you can help these dogs? <laughs> okay, all right, all right, I, I know, I'm, I'm, I'm wired weird, you know, but, but, you know, God is not going to let us get away with rebellion, Pride is one of those things that God hates. Pride will bring us down. But you know, when we're willing to say, Lord, I need you, that's when God steps in. And he will never turn you away. Well, let's go back to the text here, because we have a point number three. And point number three is there is no escape from God's judgment. And I've been hitting on that, but I want you to see what Isaiah 23, 10 to 14 says about it. In verse 10 it says, Cross over your land like the Nile, O daughter of Tarshish. There is no restraint anymore. He has stretched out his hand over the sea. He's shaken the kingdoms. The Lord has given command concerning Canaan to destroy its strongholds. And he said, You will no more exalt, O oppressed virgin daughter of, of Sidon, Arise, cross over to Cyprus. Even there you will find no rest. Now again, this is poetry. This is not the easiest thing to decipher at times. But first of all, he's saying when judgment comes, there is nowhere to run. And you know, here again, he's talking about Tarshish, Spain. That's far away. It says, Spain, you want to get your stuff to to, to the Nile, down to Egypt? 
and usually you would go through Tyre, that's not an option anymore. You, you can't do that because Tyre is no more. Tyre is going to be a bunch of rubble. We're going to see that those that are coming, when they get to Cyprus, they find out the word. You know, Cyprus is that big island out in the Mediterranean, and so it's like the last stop before you get to Tyre. And when they get to Cyprus and they hear, oh, Tyre was destroyed, or it's under siege, or you can't go there. It's been wiped out. That's what it says, cross over to Cyprus, and even there you will have no rest. Meanwhile, the people in Tyre, they had to flee for their lives. And guess where they fled to? Cyprus. And at one point, the king of Tyre fled to Cyprus, and an Assyrian king by the name of Asarhaddon chased him down, caught him at Cyrus, and cut his head off there. You can't escape. That's what he's saying. You think you, think you can even get across that much of the, of the sea? There's no escape. And then he gives this example in verse 13. Here's another example that you can't escape. Verse 13. Behold the land of the Chaldeans. What's the land of the Chaldeans? That's a name for what? Babylon, right? It's another name for Babylon. This is the people that was not. Remember, when Isaiah is writing this, hardly anybody even knows about Babylon. Babylon's the minor league team, you know, that hasn't come up to the majors yet. It's going to. In fact, Assyria was working Babylon over at this time. And, uh, and so this is the people that was not. Assyria destined it for wild beasts. They erected their siege towers. They stripped their palaces bare. They made her a ruin. In 689 B.C., Assyria ravaged Babylon, just took everything they had. This was before Babylon would come to power, you know, about 100 years later, it would be Babylon carrying Judah away into captivity. But this is before that. Assyria is the world power. Assyria is the big dog. Assyria is the one that's punishing everybody. And in the end, the strongest of the strong will fall. He says in verse 14, Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for your stronghold is laid waste. you got nowhere to unload your goods because Tyre is no more. Yeah, you can, bring, you can bring it, but you're, you're going to be stuck. There's going to be a convoy of trucks in the way, you know. You're just not going to get there. And so we see pride brings failure. Commercial centers are going to fall. There's no escape from God's judgment. But did you see grace in this passage? Got to look closely. But it's here. Check it out. Verse 15. In that day, Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years, like the days of one king. At the end of 70 years, it will happen to Tyre, as in the song of the prostitute. Take a harp, go about the city, O forgotten prostitute. Make sweet melody, sing many songs, that you may be remembered. When we first read this, we're like, what is this? Tyre's going to be forgotten for 70 years? That's a problem. It's hard to even figure out, what is this talking about? What 70 years? The best clue that I could come up with is over in Jeremiah 25. You want to look at that just for a minute? And I'm not real confident about this, but I'll share it anyway. But... um, 
Jeremiah 25 is important. You know why? It's in Jeremiah 25 that something is said about Judah. What is it? The 70-year captivity. Jeremiah 25. Look at verse 11. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation. So why is Jeremiah 25 important? Because that's where the 70 years are spelled out about the 70-year captivity of Judah that started in 605, first wave. But also notice in this very same passage, I just read Jeremiah 25, 11, but look at verse 22. Just in the context, it just so happens, all the kings of Tyre, all the kings of Sidon, and the kings of the coastland across the sea. It's the middle of a list of a bunch of, of city-states, countries and cities, sometimes uh, they overlap, that are going to be under God's wrath. And so in the context of Judah's 70 years, there's a bunch of nations that are also suffering. Does that mean they exactly suffered at the exact same time? I'm not sure about that. But that's the best I could come up with, trying to figure out in Isaiah 23 what this 70 years exactly meant, because it would be a couple hundred years before Alexander the Great's going to take him down. So, so I admit, not sure. One of those things that you wish you could just dogmatically say, oh yeah, I know the right answer. I don't. But what is referenced here is the song of the prostitute. You know, the song of the prostitute. Well, that sounds inviting. Should we add that to our playlist? Or, you know, what, what is this? Well, the words are, take a harp, go about the city, O forgotten prostitute. Make sweet melody, sing many songs that you may be remembered. The whole idea, a prostitute would have this song to try to get attention for herself, as if she really needed a song to do that, perhaps, but people know when someone's living their life like that. By the way, what does the word prostitute really mean? A prostitute is someone who will do anything for money. That's what it is. And, you know, we immediately think of sexual sin, but to prostitute something is to throw off restraint and just say, I'll do whatever I have to do to get the money. Okay? That's what it is. And that's why sometimes it's used spiritually of idolatry. And so Tyre was not just guilty of sexual sin. Tyre was guilty of being willing to do anything for money and shaking their fist against God. And so the next couple verses become very important how we're going to translate this because... What is God saying here? He says, first of all, Tyre is going to be forgotten. And they're going to have a 70-year time of being set to the side. And they're going to sing their songs and wish that somebody's going to pay attention so they could make some money. But then notice what happens in verse 17. And I said, there's always God's grace. And here it comes. Verse 17. At the end of 70 years, the Lord will visit Tyre. Now let's stop right there. When the, when the Bible says the Lord's going to visit you, it's one of two things. <laughs> it's either very bad or very good. Okay, so we've got to figure that out. It's either very, if God's going to visit you, it's either very bad or it's very good. 
But here, at the end of 70 years, so they've been set aside in punishment. They've been a wreck. They've been in rubble. They've been doing, not able to cope. Then it says, the Lord's going to visit you. And she will return to her wages and will prostitute herself with all the kingdoms of the world on the face of the earth. That's, I, I hate to say it, but this is a terrible translation of that verse. Because remember, the word prostitute just means to make money and be willing to do whatever it takes to make money. And we read that verse and immediately think, oh, she's going back to her sin of idolatry. No, that's not what it's saying. Have you ever heard of the net translation? Have you ever heard of that? It's called the New English Translation. It's, it's a continual updated translation. On the, it's on the internet, too. And it just so happens some of my professors are the guys that are doing it. Daniel Wallace was my, one of my Greek professors. Uh, Richard Averbeck is Old Testament guy there. I mean, these are ones that just influenced me hugely. They're doing this translation. and I, This is what the NET, how this handles this verse. She will start making money again by selling her services to all the earth's kingdoms. Well, what were her services? Goods. Commerce. In other words, it's not a negative connotation that we immediately think of the word prostitute. It's she's going to start making money again. The, 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 God's going to visit her and prop her back up and... She's going to start functioning again. That's what it's saying. Not to start sinning again. And, you know, I like the ESV, but every translation is a struggle, you know? Verse 18 sheds more light on this. Her profits and her earnings will be set apart for the Lord. They will be stored up or accumulated, for her profits will be given to those who live in the Lord's presence and will be used to purchase large quantities of food and beautiful clothes. That's the net translation. And, you know, to me, I knew when I read this, I, I knew this could not be a clear translation because it said that it would be holy to the Lord. And there's no way that sexual sin or idolatry could be holy to the Lord. You get that? You follow that? You break those rules, it's not going to be set apart for God. And so you start looking at what the word prostitute really means, going to start getting back to the normal activity of life and making money without any moral connotation to it. And so the activity described in verses 17 and 18 cannot refer to anything evil or sinful because it is dedicated to the Lord. You follow? You're with me, right? You're all with me. All right, okay. <laughs> I, I, I got to make sure. Because I, I don't want you to go out of here thinking, wow, the pastor said, you know, it was okay for her to go back to her sinful ways. No, it isn't. This is God's grace right here in the midst of judgment. And this is what we keep finding as you read through these oracles. God's going to judge, judge, judge. But if you turn and repent, he will take you back. And that's what God says to Tyre. I want you to see just a New Testament aside for a moment before we quit. And it's, um, it's in Matthew chapter 11.
Before we quit, I just want to take you to Matthew, two places in Matthew. Matthew 11, verse 20. Verse 20. Then, this is Jesus. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Jesus brings out that that place was punished. That place was brought down. There was certain judgment. And so Jesus confirms that. But he also gives a little bit of hope to go along with what we read in Isaiah. So perhaps what is being said about Tyre is yet future. We don't know. But we know God's grace is real. And then just turn over one more page or so, a couple pages, to Matthew 15. Because here Tyre comes up again. And I, remember I said... It comes up in the New Testament, and I wanted you to see how it comes up. And this is uh, Matthew 15, verse 21. To me, this is very moving. It almost fits with what we just read about the symbolism of a prostitute. Check this out. Matthew 15, 11, I mean 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire and her daughter was healed instantly. Do you catch what this is saying? Do you catch how moving this is? Do you notice how Jesus handled this situation? Jesus always does it the opposite of what I think he should. I'm always thinking, Jesus, you know, you're Jesus. This is how you should do it. And he always does it some other way. Have you noticed that? That's because he's Jesus. But you, you look at this. First of all, this lady is from Tyre. In another place, she's called a Syrophoenician woman. Here, she's called a Canaanite woman, and that's because those people groups all lived there. She's not part of Israel, and Jesus was, was focused on the house of Israel, the house of David. He's called the son of David. He's, he's come to minister to them directly. He doesn't always ignore Gentiles. You remember the centurion? Oh, man. <laughs> but here, you notice what she does. She says, Lord, my daughter, she's got a demon. And Jesus is like this. No, no, I'm not hearing you. What? Jesus? He says, no, sorry. The disciples were like, this, is, this lady, 
We don't need her. She's a pest. Send her away. And Jesus even says to her, sorry, I'm only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then did you catch what she does? She throws herself at his feet. Lord, help me. He says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Wow. He says to this woman, you are not worthy. Ouch. Does Jesus really mean that? No, that's what everybody called them. That's what all of society thought. And I love her answer. She wouldn't give up. She says, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Lord, just give me something. I'm at your feet. Just give me a crumb. Give me something. And what happens? Now Jesus shows himself. Oh, yeah. He is Jesus, all right. Oh, yeah. Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Is Tyre important? It was to Jesus. And it should be to us. What do we get out of this? Well, just to summarize, we said that commercial empires are going to fall. We said that pride brings failure. That there's no escape from God's judgment. But here's the good news. However, there is grace for those who repent. Do you believe it today? Do you believe it? Do you need to repent? I need to repent every day. Every day. Lord, I turn from that thought. I turn from that attitude. Here's some principles before we quit. And I know I'm pushing it. but uh, Number one, beware of allowing money and things to become your idols. If you can't get anything else out of Tyre, you at least get that. Don't let money and things become your idols. And then secondly, pride always leads to destruction. Does pride ever get in your way? Do you ever think you're right? Someone else is wrong? Do you ever say, I'm going to have my way? Nobody's going to stop me? Watch out. Thirdly, God's judgment is essential to the gospel message. There's no sense preaching the gospel if we don't preach judgment. What good is the gospel if there's nothing that matters? And finally, the good news, God's grace is always, always, always available to those who will turn to him. Will you turn to him today? Will you say, Lord, I need you. You're my only hope. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we bow before you. And Lord, we're kind of like that woman from Tyre that said, Lord, even the dogs, even the unworthy ones need you. And Lord, I pray that you'll pour out your grace on us today. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.